bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need the legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, August 10th, 2010. Tax Credit Tuesday is brought to you by the accounting and consulting firm Novogratik & Company, LLP. This week's podcast includes a congressional update focusing on, on the small business tax bill and the Senate going into recess or to their state work period. We have LHTC news, new market tax credit news, renewable energy tax credit news, historic tax credit news, and a couple of tax credit tidbits. So if you're ready, let's get started. So we start off today with the congressional update. We have info to report on the small business tax bill, an emergency house session, and tax extenders. We also have news on the feared shutdown of FHA lending. On the small business bill front, the Senate left for its August state work period last week, and they returned September 14th, after Labor Day. Majority Leader Harry Reid has indicated that when the Senate reconvenes in September, the extension of the Bush era tax cuts for the middle class will be at the top of the agenda. It's possible that that legislation could be a vehicle for one or more of the tax extender provisions. These are the provisions that stalled during the summer. It's unclear, though, right now how likely it is that the Bush-era tax cut tax bill could be a vehicle for these provisions. The Senate's also expected to resume consideration of the small business tax bill that stalled, and Senate Democrats are optimistic that they have the votes needed to pass the bill. More specifically, on August 5th, Majority Leader Reid told reporters that Senate Democrats had been able to gather the votes needed to pass the small business tax package, and that the bill would return to the Senate floor in the middle of September. Meanwhile, before adjourning last week, the Senate did pass H.R. 1586. That's a $26.1 billion fiscal aid package that provides increased Medicaid and education funding to the states. Meanwhile, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called the House back from its August recess for an emergency session to vote on final passage for the state fiscal aid measure. That vote is expected to take place today, August 10th. Now, the Action Campaign, that's A-C-T-I-O-N campaign, reported last week that it is possible that the House passage of this fiscal bill, the state fiscal aid bill, could have an impact on the fate of the LHTC consensus proposals that are currently included in the tax extenders bill. And that impact is a negative one, potentially. The potential negative impact is caused by the fact that some of the tax revenue raisers that have been used to offset part of the cost of the tax extenders bill were included to help offset the cost of the state fiscal aid bill. In light of that lost source of revenue, the action campaign predicts that the extenders bill could become more difficult to pass as it is now no longer completely paid for. We will continue to monitor this situation. And for updates on the latest news from Congress, please follow my tweets at twitter.com slash Turning to the feared FHA shutdown, a shutdown was averted last week 
when the Senate passed by unanimous consent H.R. 5872. That bill is the General and Special Risk Insurance Funds Availability Act of 2010. The House had previously passed H.R. 5872 on July 28th. This legislation increases the Federal Housing Administration's, FHA's, Fiscal Year 2010 Multifamily Loan Guarantee Commitment Authority. It increases it from $15 billion to $20 billion. This authority is used to support the construction, rehabilitation, acquisition, and recapitalization needs of multifamily rental homes, hospitals, and nursing homes. Without the increase, FHA had predicted that its multifamily lending authority would have run out, and that would have forced the shutdown of commitments until the next fiscal year started, which is October 1st. FHA Commissioner David Stevens noted that the additional $5 billion in commitment authority that, that FHA now has will actually help reduce the deficit and that it is expected to generate an estimated $94 million in FHA mortgage insurance receipts. And those receipts can help offset the nation's budget deficit. Turning to low-income housing tax credit news, we would like to remind our listeners about the 30% requirement for Section 1602 grantees. Recipients of Section 1602 grant funds that, that have not expended 100% of their Section 1602 funds by December 31st of this year are required to demonstrate that they have paid or incurred at least 30% of the project's total adjusted basis in land and depreciable property that it reasonably expects to be part of the Long Housing Tax Credit project by December 31st. This is referred to as the 30% test, and it's very similar in many ways to the traditional 10% test. If a project does not meet the 30% test as of December 31st, all Section 1602 funds that have not yet been drawn down by that date to pay for eligible costs incurred will be forfeited by the owner. Now, in preparation for this process, the California Tax Credit Allocation Committee, TCAC, announced last week that it will provide forms for the 30% test that will be used by owners of the projects that have received 1602 funds. Now, if you have any questions about the 30% test, please contact us. You can contact Novogratz and Company at 415-356-8000. Feel free to contact a resident expert in your state if you know who they are. We do have resident experts for all 50 states and the additional allocating agencies. If you don't currently have a Novogratz contact, please feel free to call Chris Key at 678 678- 867-2333 with your 30% test questions. You can locate a Novogratz Company office near you online at novocode.com. Simply go to the company menu and click on the button that says Firm Locations. I also invite you to join us at the 17th Annual Affordable Housing Tax Credit Conference that's being held September 30th to October 1st in San Francisco, California. During this conference, we're going to discuss the Recovery Act and other low-income housing tax credit hot topics. We're also excited to have Carol Galante, Deputy Assistant Secretary at the Multifamily Housing Office of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, scheduled as our event's keynote speaker. You can register for the conference online at www.novaco.com events, or simply call us at 415-356-7970. Next, I'd like to comment on the impact of dwindling state budget revenues on affordable rental housing, particularly low-income housing tax credit rental housing. 
Now, state budgets have suffered significantly during the economic downturn. In fact, in June, Time magazine reported that currently 31 states are projecting a 2001 budget shortfall of 10% or more. That's as a percentage of this year's budget. As a result, some state housing agencies are reviewing their long-term strategic plans to reflect changes in these conditions, these financial conditions. For example, the Louisiana Housing Finance Agency is currently revising its strategic investment plan to address several unanticipated challenges to Louisiana's affordable housing production and preservation. The challenges include hurricanes Gusta and Ike, statewide fiscal pressures, the global financial crisis, credit rating downgrades, reductions in tax credit equity, the creation of numerous federal recovery programs, and the Gulf oil spill. The agency's director, Milton Bailey, issued a memorandum last week with almost 50 possible priorities for the agency. Some of the items that the Louisiana Housing Finance Agency is considering are requiring new and rehabilitated workforce housing to incorporate the highest level of energy efficiency, as is financially feasible, and also they're considering depositing into the State Housing Trust Fund a portion of the fees generated from low-income housing tax credit and multifamily revenue bond applications, and they're also considering using neighborhood stabilization program funds to convert surplus schools and blighted state and local-owned properties into rental housing. Additionally, the Louisiana Housing Finance Agency is considering directing its energies to supporting several federal affordable housing development initiatives. These initiatives include extending the 1602 Exchange Program, as well as expanding it to include Gulf Opportunity Zone and 4% low-income housing tax credits that come along with taxes and bond financing. They're also consider, considering supporting including the extension of the 10% LHTC cap increase in future tax legislation, as well as supporting the creation of a five-year local housing tax credit carryback and funding of the National Housing Trust Fund. Now, listeners are encouraged to participate in these revisions, and we also encourage our listeners to participate and comment on other states' qualified allocation plans. A copy of Director Bailey's August 3rd memo and the Louisiana's current strategic plan can be found online at www.taxcredithousing.com. Simply click on QAPs and Applications in the LHTC menu. Qualified allocation plans or QAPs and related materials are also posted there for each state. We move next to New Market Tax Credit News. July was a big month for QEI issuances. On August 3rd, the CDFI firm released their monthly update to their ongoing Qualified Equity Investment, QEI, issuance report. The monthly report identifies, among other things, each entity that has received one or more allocations of new market tax credits, the total allocation amounts received by each entity, the dollar amounts of allocation authority that have been issued to investors, the amount remaining to be issued to investors, and the predominant markets to be served by each entity. For the month of July, more than $1 billion dollars of QEIs were finalized. This is welcome news for qualified businesses that benefit from the investments that these CDEs, community development entities, make. This is the biggest jump in QEI issuances on record for a single month. That according to Novograd and Company's analysis of the data provided by the CDFI fund. The spike last month can be attributed to a QEI issuance requirement 
for applicants in the eighth allocation application round. In short, organizations that applied for the next round of new market tax credit allocations and had previously received an MTC allocation award needed to meet a QEI threshold by July 21st in order to be eligible for an additional allocation. As of the August 3rd report, there was more than $7.4 billion in new market tax credit allocation still available, still remaining to be committed and or finalized. This remaining amount amounts to roughly a 10 to 18 month supply of new market tax credit authority. Now a copy of the August report issued by the CDFI fund, as well as a graph that illustrates the amount of QEIs issued and the amount of authority remaining, can be found online at www.newmarketscredits.com. Questions about this report or the QEI threshold can be directed to Owen Gray in Novograd and Company's San Francisco office. Owen can be reached at 415-356-8000. To discuss the current NMTC application round, join Novograd and Company at our New Market Tax Credit Investors Conference on October 20th to the 21st in Chicago, Illinois. Details are available online at www.novoco.com events. Turning to renewable energy tax credit news, Oregon has amended their Betsy BETC program again. As mentioned earlier in this podcast, most states are struggling to cope with significant budget gaps in the wake of the recession. As a result, scrutiny of state tax credits has increased as legislatures scour their budgets in search of savings. For example, as I reported earlier this year, lawmakers in Hawaii and New York have considered proposals to delay or otherwise curtail investors' ability to claim state tax credits. The proposal in Hawaii was approved, and the issue is still under consideration in New York. Another state that has moved to pare down the cost of state tax credits is Oregon where the Oregon Business Energy Tax Credit, BETC, or colloquially the Betsy, has been amended repeatedly to rein in the cost of the program. The amendments have been made in November 2009, January 2010, and May 2010. The amendments are made in order to reduce the program's impact on the general fund, according to prior summaries by the department. The most recent set of rules took effect May 27th and expire November 2nd. They include the following provisions, a monetary cap for renewable energy projects, a requirement that employee transportation energy conservation facilities remain in operation for one year, conditions under which renewable energy resource facilities and renewable energy resource equipment manufacturing facilities will be considered a single facility, a general requirement of evidence that a facility will be maintained and operated for at least five years after the facility is placed in operation, a condition that an applicant will not be considered to have started erection, construction, installation, or acquisition of a proposed renewable energy facility until excavation or actual physical construction begins, as well as the definition of a renewable energy storage device. These rules will affect developers of and investors in renewable energy in Oregon. As such, developers and investors are encouraged to review the changes closely to determine which rules apply to their projects and transactions and how they apply. Looking ahead, as adverse economic conditions continue to put pressure on the Oregon state budget, it's very likely that lawmakers will continue to scrutinize every program that affects the general fund, including the Betsy program. 
which do reduce the amount of tax revenues received by the state. Reports indicate that when the legislature convenes in 2011, one of the many issues it will consider is whether to let the Betsy program expire in 2012 as scheduled. For questions about the Betsy program or how these amended rules may affect your renewable energy transaction, please call Nicola Panoli in Novogratz and Company's Portland office at 503-241-6499. Switching to historic tax credit news and following up on a topic from last week, We've posted a new document online in the IRS's appeal of the tax court's ruling in the Virginia Historic Tax Credit Fund case. In case you missed it, a summary of the IRS's appeal and position can be downloaded in the August 3rd podcast. As most of our listeners know, all archived podcasts are available in iTunes and online at www.novaco.com slash podcast. The Commonwealth of Virginia filed an amicus brief in support at the Virginia Historic Tax Credit Fund, and in the brief, they outline why the state thought that the tax court's ruling should be upheld and the IRS appeal should not be granted. In the brief, the Commonwealth states, quote, Far from a sinister, aggressive manipulation of the tax code, Virginia specifically contemplated that parties would make arrangements of the sort at issue. In its brief, The state writes that the economic gain offered to investors through the state tax incentive program does not undermine the validity of the partnerships. The state argues that the hold otherwise would be to diminish the effectiveness of the tax programs established to accomplish beneficial ends. The state argues that no adverse inference should be drawn from the fact that the partnerships in the case were designed to take advantage of tax credits because those tax credits were in fact enacted to foster a beneficial purpose and as such, harnessing them does not render a partnership suspect. A copy of the Commonwealth's amicus brief and other documents related to the case can be found online at www.historictaxcredits.com. Questions about the case, or about historic tax credits in general, can be directed to my partner, Tom Bosha, in Novogratz Company's Cleveland office. Simply dial 216-298-9000 and ask for Tom Bosha, or send him an email at thomas.bosha, that's T-H-O-M-A-S dot Bosha, B-O-C-C-I-A, at Novaco.com. We also have an update on Novogratz's Developments of Distinction Awards. They've been expanded to include historic properties. These awards were established to recognize excellence and to honor outstanding achievement in the development of tax credit projects. And now, in addition to awards for long-composing tax credit and HUD finance properties, an award will be presented to the most meaningful and distinctive historic tax credit project that has served as a major catalyst for further community development in the surrounding area. Historic tax credit professors are encouraged to nominate their projects or another's for the Development of Distinctions Award. The deadline is September 15th, so we urge you to act now in terms of submitting a nomination form. For more information, including a link to the nomination form, go to www.historictaxcredits.com and click on the 2010 Developments of Distinction Awards banner. Questions can be directed to James Astro at 415-356-8000. We close this week's Tax Credit Tuesday podcast with a couple of tax credit tidbits. First, we note that Novogratz and Company has updated our rent and income limit calculator. It now includes rent and income limit data for tax-exempt bond finance properties. 
We've also posted a d demo as to how to use this complimentary online tool. And this demo is posted on our YouTube channel. To see the video, simply go to www.youtube.com and search for Novogratic. Or you can go directly by typing in www.youtube.com slash CPAs. Questions about the Written Income Limit Calculator can be directed to Thomas Stagg. And questions about Novograd and Company's property compliance services can also be directed to Thomas or to my partner, Jim Kroger. Both Thomas and Jim are in our San Francisco office at 415-356-8000. Our second tax credit tidbit this week relates to HUD fair market rents, or FMRs. Last week, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, released proposed fair market rent FMRs for the Housing Choice Voucher Program and the Moderate Rehabilitation Single Room Occupancy Program for fiscal year 2011. I note these are proposed fair market rents. HUD will accept public comments on the proposed FMRs, including comments about FMR levels for specific areas, until September 4, 2010. The August 4th Federal Register Notice includes information about HUD's procedures and methodology for the development of the FMRs, as well as a list of the proposed FMRs. The notice can be found online at www.hudresourcecenter.com. Questions about your HUD finance property can be directed to Susan Wilson in Novogratz & Company's Austin office. Susan can be reached at 512-340-0420. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. And please send us comments about how we can improve this podcast. You can send the comments to cpas at novaco.com or to michael.novogradic at novaco.com. Any suggestions you have would be greatly appreciated. This is Michael Novogradic, and I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening.